We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike, and we're in the middle of Westbrook week, and in the first two episodes, we discussed his playmaking and his shooting. And the long and short of it, at least from my perspective, is I came out of watching film on those aspects of his game more optimistic about them than when I went in his playmaking. I didn't realize the level of mental speed and anticipation that he has his understanding of how to use his body and just create opportunities for himself with his ability to see the floor, but also his, his passing ability, very accurate, great velocity on his passes came out pretty encouraged from watching that tape. And then with respect to his shooting, that was my biggest worry going in to watching further tape is like, how is this going to work? You know, and that's one of the more the more obvious ones. And while I still think it's a weakness, I came out of that more optimistic about that as well. In again, thinking that I do think it's a weakness, but not as big of a deal. And in aggregate, the addition of Westbrook, I think, is going to make us a much better offensive team. And then you add the shooting. I like we've. I, I think we've really improved on that end of the floor. How much we we will see. However, on the defensive end, we we had a lot of talent walk out of the door, specifically on the perimeter between Alex, KCP, Dennis, Kuz. And so, guys, my anxieties and worries about this season are most completely on the defensive side of the floor. To bring that back to Russell Westbrook, I view him as our most important defensive player this year in terms of, like, obviously, AD is the most important guy in terms that he is the best and we know what we're going to get from LeBron um but he's Westbrook's the guy that's the most capable of being able to bridge some of what we've lost on in terms of our perimeter defense so my question to you Darius is what kind of defender do we need Russell Westbrook to be this season oh man so you just put a lot of hopes and dreams on Russell Westbrook's defense. I, I mean, how good does he need to be? He needs to be not bad, right? And mm-hmm. he's been bad. He's played on bad defensive teams 
of late. He, Washington, so he's bad. So, what, we'll talk about how bad he is in a, in a bit. But like, it's he's inattentive when he's trying and he's locked in. He's not a perfect defender. He's got some technical issues. He'll lose shooters, but he's you know he's athletic. He's strong. Yeah. He's a good free safety. Like sure. he's when he's locked in. I I think he's an above average defender easily. And if we can get that version of him right or something close to it, that's the version to me that wins the NBA title. How good does he need to be? He needs to be good. You cannot win the NBA championship. I do not think this, right? Maybe the Nets would have proven me wrong last season if everyone was healthy. But I don't think you can win an NBA championship if some of your best players or one of your best players is a minus defensively. That comes in, there's lots of shades of gray in in analyzing defense. And so I don't think there's at any one point where every player is bad defensively, just like I don't think there's there's any sing, single player who is always good defensively. Guys get, plenty of guys get beat. Plenty of guys aren't at their best on any given night. And plenty of guys on any give, given possession are inattentive. It's how often are you inattentive? How often do you allow yourself to get beat? How much do you care, basically, I think is the biggest question. And I don't I don't know how much Russ has actively cared from a possession-to-possession basis defensively, Mike. I think that there are times where he certainly does care. So the Lakers Twitter account, if you're listening to our pod, you follow the Lakers Twitter account. And if you don't, then you should be. But yesterday... At the time that we're recording this, so yesterday it was Kobe Bryant's birthday. And the Lakers social team did just an f- amazing job of like putting out all of this Kobe content, which I thought was great. And one of the threads they had was a defense thread. It was possession after possession of Kobe basically just being all-world defender Kobe Bryant, the guy who made nine first teams all defense and, and was just one of the elite defenders in the entire league. They also had a couple of possessions where Kobe was no longer that guy. But there were possessions in that time frame where Kobe was no longer an elite defender, but he got up for a possession or two, and it was like, oh my God. Look at this dude sinking his stance. Look at him slide. The play against Kyrie Irving where he got the left-handed block where Kyrie was trying to isolate him. That was no longer elite d- defender, Kobe. I bring that up because Russ reminds me a little bit of that stage of Kobe. It's just like, hey, you've got this in you. And when you decide, I'm taking this personally, like the Michael Jordan meme, right? Like, oh, and, and I took that personally with his hands up. When he takes it personally, Mike, he will get after you defensively and he will use all 210 pounds, 604 of like or or six foot four, just like muscle popping. Like, no, I'm I'm destroying you this defensive possession. And he doesn't need to play to that level all of the time, but he needs to ramp it up defensively. He hasn't shown that he wants to do that. And so, again, I've been saying this a lot over this series of pod, but like I I think we need to see it. Will we see it? I'm not there to say that we will see it. Like it's sort of like I'm questioning that from my end. 
Yeah, there's this balance that we have to strike as we speculate about what Russ or any person is going to be like in a new situation. And it's a, it is a little tricky. We have some evidence. We have things that we can bake in. We have our, our own institutional knowledge of the NBA. We have, we have some evidence as to what players look like around LeBron and AD and all that. And so I'm, I don't think that it's, I don't think that Pete is, is inaccurate to expect that it will be a little bit better um, than what we've seen in the past for a couple of different reasons. But even if you just look at the raw numbers for like Washington, the last couple of years or Houston, you know, Westbrook's defensive metrics aren't bad. Like there, there are some, it's can, at least in, in terms of what the team was. So like Bradley Beal had a defensive rating of 114.8 last year. You know, Westbrook was 110.4. That's not, that's not a very good metric for a team that wasn't, that wasn't great. Uh, and really at times was actively bad on defense, but they were better than they were the year before. Whereas Beal was about the same the year before that was kind of a historically bad Washington team. And Westbrook did at least kind of raise the energy level of that franchise and that alone counts for something on defense. Whether or not you have some breakdowns, which are going to happen, it, that you don't see as much for LeBron, or you don't see as much for Anthony Davis, You're, you'll get some breakdowns. But the good thing about perimeter breakdowns, at least I shouldn't say this uh, all the time, but they can be made up for in some in, in some senses by a good backline defense. And it's why I'd rather have good backline defenders than good perimeter defenders if I had to pick between the two. And so Westbrook, I think the athleticism, the force, the attentiveness that he's going to play with in Los Angeles, the fact that this Lakers team I think is going to be up towards the top of the conference all year, helped by the soft start on the schedule. Like all of these things I think are going to help Westbrook be, and, and by the way, the lack of having to carry as much of a load on offense, all of these things I do think end up helping him on defense. And Pete, that's without mentioning Frank Vogel, who I think can help a player like that uh, within his system, within his belief system, with his sort of positive reinforcement without being annoying about defense. So all of these things, I think the, the, the circumstances around this Lakers team should help Westbrook be towards the high end of the spectrum on the defense for what he can bring. And, and therefore, I don't think it's unfair to have some optimism that he will have some better performances defensively than we've seen in the past, which you know, weren't terrible, all things considered. We're more, more kind of at least about even, breaking even. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not trying to predict which way that it's going to go, but there are positive conditions that exist. For sure. That said, Darius, you said I'm putting a lot of expectations, right, on Russell Westbrook's defense. I think that it's one of the X factors of this season. I think it's one of the most important things because it's not a matter of capability with him. There are some things – now, some of his weaknesses – I'll get to this in a moment – it's not a matter of, of him not being able to, like, I don't have expectations of Ellington and Monk defensively beyond a very low bar, right? Mello, I want Mello to come in and hit shots, be able to switch, help on the defensive boards. Am I expecting Mello to switch out onto the perimeter and like keep Devin Booker in front of him in the Western Conference Finals? No, I'm not. But Russell Westbrook can play high level defense. He doesn't get there all the time and not even very often in some instances. But where his weaknesses lie is something that 
it compounds an existing weakness of the team. My biggest concern is this season that we are more vulnerable to the precision teams. Brooklyn and Phoenix are the two that come to mind specifically. The team that can that can dribble dribble penetrate get you know compromise your defense and then the ball swinging around the perimeter and then that's hitting the hands of James Harden, Kyrie Irving, Joe Harris. And the foot speed that it takes to be able to close out to all of those guys collectively as a team it matters my my biggest worry is that this is do you remember the 2004 team how we defended like if we played that Detroit Pistons team a hundred times we would have lost that series 85 times they were so much faster than us that that is my concern with this team and the bad version of Russell Westbrook on defense the one that's always dropping down for the defensive rebound before it's time to like before it's time to leaving a a shooter open or the guy that's not particularly engaged that version do you see what i'm saying like that version combined with the foot speed of older players that leads to open corner threes man and so that's why this is something i i put a lot of urgency on is that and and that if we are going to win a title this year, Westbrook's capable of getting out to those guys. He's capable of making up that gap in foot speed that really it's it's one of the things that I think swings the season. I agree. I'll be thrilled if we get a higher intensity defense and more attentive defense focused Russell Westbrook this season. I think the reasons for optimism that Mike pointed out are Totally fair. And I look at human be- – and this is beyond basketball. I look at human behavior mostly as like a series of of factors and variables that influence the way that you act basically, right? It's environment. It's the people around you. It's your general mood on any given day. It, it's It's – it's all kinds of things, right, that go into how you're going to basically be in any given moment. And when you apply that to sports or basketball, I think that there are variables that exist within a team structure and a culture and who your teammates are and what the coach is saying and what's the identity of your roster and all of and and then your individual ability and desires and all of these things go into a bowl right and they all get mixed together and then the output of that is how you perform and, and like if you're if your check engine light comes on or something at the start of that day right darius yes oh i mean oh. yeah <laughs> look exactly Exactly. I, we're not going to get into the <laughs> Darius is bad meter at this point, but maybe during the season. So, I'm sorry, hold on. It's the Darius displeasure <laughs> scale. Okay. Oh, so, sorry. Uh, I kind of like Come the on, Darius mad meter. <laughs> the Darius is mad meter. Sorry. I mean, good alliteration no, at least, look. but you know. <laughs> look, there's lots of different ways that we could frame, frame it. Maybe during the season, there there may be some possessions that we can highlight on the pod and and our expert producer genie will incorporate some nice music over a clip right that she will push out to our social feeds in any event there's all of this stuff that mixes together right that basically drives how you're going to play and i think the various circumstances and there's context and then there's actually just what do you want to do 
And Russ, I feel like, has allowed both of those things to seep into his game defensively in negative ways, right? It's the negative context of his team, and it's the negative context of, well, I'm just going to play this way. And all of that has led to too many gambles, too many mistakes, too many possessions where he's inattentive. And those things add up in ways that matter. And so I I 100% agree with you, Pete, that if the Lakers are going to win the championship, I think there's going to need to be a baseline level of defensive performance. And that's going to have to be above average, right? It doesn't need to be fantastic because I think the gains they've made offensively are going to matter here and are likely going to help their defensive performance as well, right? Like all basketball is a flow sport. These things matter and they're all connected. But if they need to play a baseline level of defense and that defense has to be a positive level, Westbrook's going to contribute to that culture in a positive way. And I think giving him the benefit of the doubt is fine. Expecting that things are going to be a certain way is not fine from my perspective. Right. And maybe if someone else is willing to turn that benefit of the doubt in into expectation, I won't fault them. I just won't be joining them at this particular time. A few pods ago, Pete, we were talking about Phil Jackson and how he liked big guards. And I think some of that was focused on the offensive end. But a lot of it to me, if you take into if you take into effect what we've learned, even in the last five, 10 years of the NBA is with all the switching that's gone on, and maybe Phil was just ahead of his time here, right? That you're not going to, another team's coach isn't going to look at the Lakers in a playoff series and be thinking, oh, all right, man, how can we scheme to get this guy switched over to get Russ up here in this action? And that is a win right there to me, uh, to, uh, to always have your point guard out there as just being big and strong and physical. And think about some of the team's, that the Lakers compete against in the Western Conference, even the Blazers, like they have this problem. Every time they get into a playoff series, LeBron James is looking at not only can I go with Dame, but we can go with CJ. Okay, great. Uh, Utah, you know, they've got Conley and Mitchell. Now Mitchell isn't, you know, it's longer, but, but still like he's not a, he's not a big two. And there are times in a mismatch where you can take advantage of that situation. How about, you know, Phoenix is a little bit different because Chris Paul is a fire hydrant and Devin Booker is a little bigger for a two. Uh, but you know, but still, even still, but, man, but even who, still. who were they vulnerable to, right? Exactly. Those, the big guys, the ADs and the Giannis, like obviously those are great players in and of themselves. But even Andre Drummond, you know, led the NBA playoffs in offense in rebound rating because he was just going over smaller guys. So let's take a quick break. You know, I've, I've expressed some of my concerns and some of the what I think the stakes that are on the line for Westbrook being good on the defensive end for us. Let's take a break. When we come back, I want to express a certain amount of optimism of what I think we can be. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So we've talked about that bigger, faster, stronger idea so much, but it's always been through the lens of offense or almost always, right? How much pressure we can put on the rim, uh, you know, the battering ram, knocking down the castle walls and the big guys creating shots, you know, on the perimeter, but rarely do we discuss it on the defensive end. And what you were just talking about, Mike, plays into what I think is a defensive identity that we can really get to. Westbrook is that bigger, faster, stronger guard. He's that guy that can switch onto a DeAndre Ayton and not win a battle, but he's going to be able to hold his ground. You described Chris Paul as a fire hydrant, like Russell Westbrook's that, but much bigger and, and much stronger. And so you combine that with some of his defensive rebounding. I think we're going to get into his transition game in the next pod, but uh, that there's an ability to be physical and overpowering and overwhelming because he's in context with LeBron and Anthony Davis there. So I, I'm curious what you see, Mike, even in our, our fringe players of, you know, THT, Trevor Ariza, Kent Bazemore, the more role guys, there is, I still see that bigger, faster, stronger concept represented throughout the roster, even more so on the defensive end. Yeah, absolutely. And, and certainly Dwight Howard has to be near the top of that list. And if you've got if you've got mm-hmm. Dwight and AD and LeBron, you know, that's a you right there have pretty much the NBA's biggest front court and the most athletic, even though these guys are all vets and they're all number one overall picks. You know, they are still big. They are still fast. They are still strong. And then if you add Russ to that mix where you're now filling in one more spot and that's not that hard to do. And in fact, like it's, so it's, it's one of two things. One, you can get away with probably having Ellington out there if you just want the shooting specialist for the other end. But if you're just going to go bigger, faster, stronger, period, that's where we talk about Ariza uh, in, that, in that spot or, uh, or THT, right, who is still a big for his position and long um, and certainly explosive athletically. And I just like knowing, so it gets back to the identity of the team and how do they win the title? And I think we all, despite how new that team was, there was something that we really appreciated about being able to go to that, to just say, you can't match this group physically. And last year that was going to be a little bit harder to come by. And this year, I think that part of that is back. And, and really, again, Russ and Dwight represent the, the two, the biggest parts of that. But in, in the previous year, it was Dwight and to an extent, Danny Green that would come on. And, you know, even Caruso. And now they don't have Caruso. But that to me is I like having the idea of that, not just the idea, the reality of that type of a group to throw out there. And that to me is something Frank Vogel knows how to deal with. Pete. You said that you wanted to get into like a couple of points of optimism about like that idea of does bigger, stronger, faster sort of play into your optimism here? Very much so. I think that we're a team that's going to win a lot of individual battles. Mike was describing some of those scenarios with the smaller guards out west. And there's so many and we're going to get into this more in the transition pod. But like the ability to switch and now 
Anthony Davis is the guy that's closing out to your shooter yeah. because your Russell Westbrook is able to hold his ground on the switch and is not going to get because a lot of times like what will happen is say you get that big little switch and it's a smaller guard on that big. But that big isn't a particularly good offensive player. He's not the kind of guy that you're like, oh, we're going to throw the ball down to this player and he's going to post him up and make a move and score on that. The NBA has gotten away from trying to that, – that's kind of the fool's gold of switches that as the NBA started switching more and more, the obvious was like just give the ball to the big guy and they tried doing that. But it's actually not that productive generally if the guy doesn't have a certain level of capability in the post. So what the NBA has done to kind of get away from that is – we're going to get the ball to a more favorable offensive matchup, but just let's get the ball up on the rim. Let's get that shot up. And now your smaller guard, your KCP, your Dennis shooter has to box out that guy. And that's the reason that that guy's in the game, right? He might not be the guy that you can throw the ball down into the post to score on, but he is going to crash the offensive boards. And so with the further specialization of the five position specifically, that's a, a different way that that's been attacked, right? Is, is switching. And, if that's Russell Westbrook, not only do you have a guy that's able to hold his ground, he's as good of a defensive rebounder as you're going to find at the guard position. Really, throughout the the in, throughout NBA history, it's one of the best things that he one of the things that he's best at. So he's going to win more of those battles in a switch against those bigs than pretty much any other guard for those two reasons. You've got Anthony Davis on that switch, closing out to your guard, who just took a three from the top of the key, but he missed it because he had to shoot it over Anthony Davis's long ass arm. Anthony Davis keeps running down to the other end. And now that guard who took the shot, who probably weighs a buck 95, has to try to deal with Anthony Davis on a rim run as Russell Westbrook is getting that rebound and immediately looking up to see LeBron James on the wing or AD against this smaller guard on a rim run. And so it's the it's not only the defensive end, it's the transition to the offensive end that I think there's a great deal of synergy that I'm I'm very optimistic that the that the best version of us on the defensive end is going to be this fun turnover creating vibrant yeah. team that's out on the run and so the more we can get to that like but we only get to that if we really care about defense right if this team is into the idea of playing defense rather than winning games 130 to 125 if they're into it and we're healthy we're going to win the title if not it, it's going to be much trickier just to focus on the rebounds for a second, uh, I, I, I thought I had an idea where Westbrook ranked all time for point guards. I just looked it up while you were talking. So it's third. I, I'm sure you guys can come up with the top two. You want to take a, a quick live shot at it? But point guards only, rebounding point guards. Magic and Kid. Okay, cool. Kid's number one. Magic is four. And then the other okay. one is Oscar the, Robertson. Is the, Oscar, Oscar Robertson. Yeah. Boom. See, yeah. and I, I wasn't scared about giving you guys live trivia because I knew you were going to hop on as you did. And so that he's, he's grabbed 7,000 rebounds um, already at this point in his career. And he's got about 800 to catch Oscar and then kids at like 8.4 thousand. So just to, just to put that in some level of perspective and that is, alone helps you in so many different ways so Darius go ahead I just wanted to sneak a little stat in there about Russ's rebounding prominence no and so look defensive possessions end with rebounds and so you've technically not stopped playing defense until you've secured a rebound and so Russ's contributions on that end are valuable particularly within the context of how 
he is such a fierce transition player as well. So his ability to grab and go as your point guard, um, older Laker fans like myself are very much aware of how dynamic that can be within the context of when it's your point guard and it's your lead ball handler um, who is also explosive in terms of getting from the dotted line, foul line area past half court, right? Russ does that with speed, but a player like Magic Johnson did, did it because he was six foot nine. And so in the same way that you see Giannis gobble up real estate with long strides, Magic Johnson was very much similar to that, although not the same athlete as Giannis or quite as tall, but a six, nine guard. In terms of, Pete, I want to get back to a point that you made before because I think it's super important, and I think it's how you probably generate buy-in defensively with this Lakers team. And it's that we're going to be hunters defensively. Amen. And when you hunt, you kill, and then you eat. And basically, that's got to be the mentality for this Lakers team. They cannot be a precision defense. They cannot be the team who is I, like, I mean, there, there's going to be a certain amount of precision they're going to have to have because the rotations are going to have to be sharp and guys are going to have to be where they're supposed to be. But the idea of no, man, like we are going to gamble some. We've got gamblers back here. We are going to jump passing lanes. We are going to crash down in to the paint. We are going to try to break up lobs. We are going to try to block every shot. Right. Like there, there is a certain amount of like, no, 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 no. Get after it, because when you get after it, we're going to overwhelm teams. And it's going to be if I were Frank Vogel, I'd be like, hey, man, we're going to watch. 2008 and 2012 Team USA clips. We're going to like we want to be a team that is just like, oh, man, no, we are we are making you work offensively and throw the late pass over the middle like football style and someone's going to come and break it up because we've got free safeties back here. It's so hard to get into your offense when you're playing against a team that is way better than you athletically. Like just put aside any NBA skill or things like that. Having coached high school ball, this is something that you see more on that level than in the NBA. But when the team that you're playing has like the three most athletic people on the floor at any given time, if they choose to turn up the temperature, Mike, and ball pressure you and really rotate and use that superior size and strength and length, it can be so difficult to do the basic things in basketball. You've had a courtside view for many teams like that in, in Lakers history. Like, what does that look like on a like when a team is significantly more athletic than another team? What does that look like on defense from the ground floor? Pete, I'm glad you mentioned that. Because seeing seeing this up close in person, it is different. And it's just the there's a feeling that you get when somebody that big moves that fast. And it's almost like if you if you've got an older brother or really anybody, an older cousin or whatever. And I, I think that whether you're you know guy or girl, um, probably guys are a little bit more used to wrestling. But I know that probably some young ladies out there had that experience in the family. And that's what it's like. Like if you you can't really do anything. You know, it's just you're, you're, 
the strength element of it alone is just frustrating. So you think and you every year that you, you kind of keep trying to go after it. And that's what I've always seen. I think LeBron is the best example of this, where some rookie comes in and they've heard about LeBron and they want to test themselves. Right. It's, it's why, like, as you're getting older, you, you want to jump in and see if you can hit the street sign. You're, it's just like a, kind of a test. Like it's that high. And every year you get a little bit closer to it. And so by the time these guys get to the NBA, they're thinking, all right, it's my time to test some one of these really peak athletes. And there's a realization in 99% of players, you know, every once in a while you get a guy that can kind of compete on that level physically, but there's a realization that, oh, all right, yeah, th- even this level is different. With with uh, And LeBron is like that, AD is like that, Russell Westbrook is like that, and Dwight Howard is like that. Th- these are That's why these guys, it, amongst other reasons, went so high in the draft, because it was undeniable, freakish, crazy athletic ability and, you know, Carmelo is a little different, right? It, his like he's a little bit more of the Magic Johnson type body where like he's really tall and he's got some special skills, but he isn't necessarily this insane level athlete. But those four that I mentioned really are. And it's when you see it up close and personal, it's uh, it, it is hard to describe, but it's just the, the best way I could do it is to say that the the, the you're, you're always surprised by how fast those guys move at that size in bringing this together for me and and Pete, I'd love your thoughts on this is that there is a certain amount of nastiness that I think the team is going to have to play with this season and channeling that or getting to that nastiness is really a mentality. It's not ability. It's do we want it? Do we want to play that way? And do you have concerns about them accessing that as often as they might need to access that, considering that's likely their best approach from a defensive perspective, because the Lakers have been a much more versatile defensive team over the last two seasons, right? Like they had all of these different pieces, I think, on the championship team that were able to be like, okay, we want to play big, we can play big right? We want to play more rangy and small. We can do, do that too. We want quickness on the floor. Like, no, we want a bunch of smart help type defender guys. We can play that way too. And the Lakers had a skeleton key defensively that championship season. And even last season, they led the league in defensive rating without all of these guys available to them for most of the season um, as, as a group. And they were still able to to mishmash lineups together that were really effective defensively. But I feel like this team is likely going to have fewer pitches in their bag to go to. And part of that then means accessing that mentality more often than what you might think they would have to if they had a bit more diversity in their defensive talent. And, And so do you have concerns about that? I have concerns about the level of volume that our players, specifically a guy like Westbrook, can absorb. Like we've talked a lot about the idea of innings eaters, right? People who can play a certain amount of minutes that during the regular season that maybe they're not a big part of your playoff rotation. But the fact that they are able to play credible minutes during the regular season, think of JaVale McGee, is helpful in the overall goal of keeping everybody fresh and being able to get to the postseason. There are defensive innings eaters or heavy lifters 
we lost a few of them in KCP, Alex, Kuz. These are guys that were just running all of the time. KCP and, and Caruso specifically, there's so much about defense that is effort. That is just the ability to stay with your foot on the gas and chase that guy and make that rotation. Like all these players, Russell Westbrook included, they know their defensive rotations. There's only a handful of variations of it. And at this level of their experience, they know what they are. It's just a matter of that takes a lot of effort to do that. And so I am more worried about our baseline defense. And like, I think that we're, we'll be making mistake if we approach the regular season as we can win those 130 to 125 games and then turn it on because we do have this elite ceiling defensively that I still very much believe we have. And I think that Russell Westbrook is the key to that. But if we don't play a certain baseline throughout the year, we won't be able to get to that playoff level version of our defense just as a light switch. The team's too new, right? It's just like a, if it was a team that won a title together as this particular group and was coming back, like that 2002 team, for example, they weren't good on defense for most of the season, but they had enough of the same guys that they could get to that when they needed to, and they did. That isn't this version of the team. And so that's more of my concern going into the season, along with health, right? I've, I've, health is always uh, the, the number one concern. But that's the thing that I go to of like, what, like, can we play that baseline level? And where is that baseline level? I want to see if I can draw a comparison to the Lakers in 09 and 10. And this team adding Westbrook to essentially the core of the 2020 title winning team and not ignoring what happened last year, but just, just for the sake of this exercise and Kobe and LeBron to start 09. And, and of course off coming off of the loss of the Celtics and then LeBron in that year, once they got AD, I thought they, they truly set the defensive tone on a night to, in the competitive tone on a night to night basis from game one of the regular season. This, this year's serious. We're here winning games. We're playing defense. All of us, me included, me in year 17, I think it was at the time for LeBron. And Kobe must have been, I mean, yeah, damn near like 14, right? Or, or right, right around there. And they they really brought it. Well, then the next year, the Lakers make the move for Ron Artest at the time. And I thought Ron's just, that's the way that he played, but his defensive intensity, I thought let that really helped them repeat because Kobe was still brought it, but he didn't have to have like Kobe that year hit so many game winners like that. That year was the year he had seven game winners following the title year. And I thought that part of that was because Ron took on that assignment on the perimeter for him on certain nights. And so I wonder now Westbrook isn't near the kind of defensive player that Ron Artest was, but from a energy standpoint, from carrying the team when he enters the building, I think that Westbrook can do some of that for LeBron that LeBron had to do two years ago. And where AD figures into all that, I'm super curious. I would love to think that AD comes to the arena every night. Like, hey, I'm shutting it down defensively. Let's go. But this is where Pete and Darius, like, I don't know. It's not an argument for technical defense and Russ is going to go pick up the number the guy. It's just like he's going to bring that effort and that spark. And, and I'm hoping that that translates to the defensive side of the court. Me too. If I – so – and I'm I'm super hopeful about this team's defensive ceiling. And I think, Pete, your point about a baseline level of, of defense is super important because 
not only do they need to show that baseline level, I do think they need to show at least in spurts like, oh, no, we can dominate you defensively, because I think that having that in their back pocket is going to be a confidence boost for them defensively as well. If I was going to play a little bit of devil's advocate to Mike's point, it's that to me, it's much easier to bring that energy and feel good vibe and the like uplifting because we're having fun mentality. It's much more fun to do that on offense. And when the crowd gets hyped, it's usually because of an offensive play and, and craving that, and getting back to that idea of like, oh, well, we're just going to run the ball down your throat and we're going to dunk a lot or we're going to put up 135 points. That's more fun. And it's a lot of times it's easier to do it when most of your talent is on that side of the ball. And so I go back to the point I made at the beginning of the pod, just how much do they want? to play defense. And to me, it's about that idea being planted very early, almost inception style for them. Like, yeah, you're going to be a defensive team. You're going to be a defensive team because even if they're not going to be a defensive team, right? Because their talent doesn't skew that way. Even if they're not going to be a defensive team, having that, having that mindset of we are, is going to help them so much more than taking on the mindset of we're just going to score more points than you. And Don't worry, Darius. I, I, Darius, we can handle that from the media side. Just, I just ask them exclusively about defense for the entire preseason. Uh, every this every is post game summary, <laughs> I will only ask Frank Vogel and Westbrook about the defensive side of the court, and and then you know Thank maybe you. ask an offensive question in like January. If the defense is up to your uh, satisfactory level, all right. That's right. This is this is we're going on a, on a full defensive offensive, right? Like I am <laughs> I am posting every great Russell Westbrook defensive play, or just team wide. I am highlighting the defensive end, all them little slow motion clips that I tweet out and things like that. It's going to be defense, defense, defense. Because if we can do that, because D, you said you said it right. It is more fun to play offense, but you know what type of offense is the most fun? Is transition offense. That's right. And you get into transition offense by playing good defense. And that is going to be what our next pod is about, because if we can defend and we can get out on the run, I think we have the capacity to be one of the the very best transition teams in NBA history. And that'll be the topic of the next Laker Film Room podcast. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. They win. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two. Score. One. Missing. Bryant. Unbelievable. 
seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble. And banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.